0: You are now listening to Blast
1: Burn Radio. everyone and welcome to another episode of blast burn radio i am your host jolly by nature and with me today are our murica friends our Yanova ready co-hosts celeste and messer engine thanks for joining me today guys how's it going it's been a
0: it's honestly been kind of a trying week i know that uh some of you folks have noticed that i haven't been around a whole lot in the discord or i've been in and out um i'm not going to go into a lot of details because we got a lot to cover but I got some family shit going on. Uh, my niece was born on Wednesday, which was really exciting, uh, but there were complications and she was rushed to Boston. So yeah, there's there's some stressful bad shit going on right now and uh, I will be around as much as I can, but I, I can't tell you it was a good week. There were things to be happy about, but there were lots of scary things that are continuing to go on
1: yeah it's it's been real rough mess i'm I'm sorry man for for what for what little that's worth i'm really sorry that you're going through this and and for the record guys if again we're not going into severe details here but if you give a shit if there is a children's miracle network hospital anywhere in your radius and even if there's fucking not give them some money please for us we all really appreciate that
0: mm-hmm. yeah definitely but yeah, that was my week. Lots of lots of high emotion and joy and terror and chaos and uh, everything else. So I'm <laughs> real tired for all the different reasons. <laughs> Not the normal
1: Messer Engine reasons. Whole, wholly new and uncomfortable reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's stop dragging ourselves down at the beginning of our very long podcast. <laughs> How are you, Celeste?
2: Well, I'm tired for other reasons. I woke up really early this morning to drive down to Southern Kentucky, which was a three-hour drive there and three-hour drive back, to get a new addition to our family. We have a little mini dachshund puppy now. His name is Wedge, and he's adorable, and I am super excited because I've wanted a pupper for a very long time, and now I have one.
0: You have a dog that leads Rogue Squadron. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs>
2: well, actually, it's the uh, the funny thing is, is I picked Wedge from Final Fantasy VI and all the other Final Fantasies that he exists in, but he Wed from Final Fantasy comes from <laughs> Star Wars Rogue Squadron. So yes, in a way, yes. <laughs>
1: You got you've got a pupper that kicks ass at blitzball. I I am so incredibly amused that over the course of thirty seconds of our podcast, we have gone from the emotional extremes of complicated childbirth didn't go super great thoughts and prayers to got a super cute
0: puppy though. Well, it's, that's my week. I'm sorry. No, no, yeah, you're fine. Like, trust me. The the whole of the week has, has been like that because, mm. you know, obviously, like, it, it's been a trying time, but, like, the world spins on, right? Like, there's there's shit going on and there's podcasts to make and people to talk to and everything else. And, you know, just because my week wasn't great doesn't mean that you shouldn't be super overjoyed about a puppy. So, congrats.
2: Thanks. I'm <laughs> very excited. And I might even name a little pup after it. We'll see
1: and completing the triangle of our our tragedy comedy week that we've had i spent almost three hours this morning cleaning up liquid dog shit in my basement <laughs> so we're just we're having a time guys oh jeez! welcome to <laughs> september yep yep this is this is what september has in store for us is this what you meant earth wind and fire is this what you were talking about they were talking uh, about september <laughs> They were talking about September. You were right. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and dive in, because we got a lot of stuff to go over tonight, folks. Uh, one side effect of our new biweekly schedule is that the news piles up super quickly. Uh, so what is news since we talked last? Let's find out in this week's Pokemon News. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Here is the Poke-News. The
0: Poke-News.
1: All right, guys, so the year of legendaries continues to move right along, and September brings with it a new giveaway. This month, you can snag your very own Latios or Latias. As with previous events in this series, which legendary Pokemon you receive is dependent upon your game version. Sun and Ultra Sun are able to redeem a Latias, while Moon and Ultra Moon redeem a Latios. These Pokemon come at level 60 in Sun and Moon, or at level 100 with a gold bottle cap in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. In Europe and Oceania, this Pokemon is available simply by redeeming your mystery gift by Wi-Fi. However, once again, those of us in North America are given the shit into the stick and we're stuck getting our codes from retail. And this time, it's from Best Buy of all fucking places. Uh, <laughs> this event ends on September 23rd in Europe and Oceania and codes will be distributed through the 29th here in North America. So go out and get your airplane, Dragon. Now, if there is one certainty within the Pokemon community, it's that there is always something new going on in Pokemon Go. And this week is no exception. Uh, Messer Engine, what is new right now in
0: Pokemon Go? So continuing the trend from last week, we got Johto stuff. Go figure. Uh, Specifically, we got our new research tasks and rewards for September. Uh, This month, our tasks revolve around Fire-type Pokemon and Pokemon native to Johto, and completion earns you the opportunity to catch everyone's favorite Fire Doggo, Entei. Additionally, this week brought the new Safari Zone event in Yokosuka, Japan. This has led to increased chances of rare Pokemon such as Phoebus, Buildum, and Torchic spawning across Japan, and Shiny Wingull and Pelipper spawning worldwide. Now, as with... Previous Safari Zone events in Dortmund, Germany, and GoFest in Chicago, this event unlocked regional goals worldwide. And if they're all met, we'll all be rewarded with a special Moltres Day. Hashtag Worst bird. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) It looks like a fucking rubber chicken, doesn't it? (laughs) It it,
0: it does. It does. It makes me so sad. If all goals are met uh, for a three-hour window on Saturday 9-8, Uh, All raids will feature Moltres. They will know the special move Sky Attack and have a chance to be shiny. In addition, because we unlocked the previous rewards of Zapdos and Articuno Days, if we're successful this time around, we'll also unlock the currently unannounced Ultra Reward. So get out and complete some research tasks, everybody.
1: Thank you, Messer Engine. Now, we had some really cool stuff happen in Pokemon over the last couple of weeks, and that includes something really cool that our streaming platform, Twitch, Rolled out this week. Uh, starting this past Monday on August 27th, Twitch Presents is running a special long-term, and I mean long-term, marathon of the Pokemon anime. Uh, specifically, they are live-streaming every single episode and movie from the long-running anime. Uh, they're doing 10 to 16 episodes a day on Monday through Thursday, with encore presentations of those episodes on Friday and Saturday, and movies on Sunday. They started with episode one, episode one period, episode one of Indigo League on Monday, and they plan on continuing at least through the finale of XYZ, which spans 16 movies and 19 seasons. Uh, This marathon is going to extend well into 2019. As a part of this event, Twitch has also debuted a new extension, a new browser extension for use during the stream, the Pokemon Badge Collector, where you can collect badges that appear on the screen and have your score tallied on a leaderboard. Uh, Be sure to check out the stream and relive some of your favorite anime moments over at twitch.tv slash twitch presents i don't go i don't get enough time to collect all them patches <laughs> right i will not be on the leaderboard but i did watch it a little bit earlier today while i was prepping for this episode and it was actually really fun just to kind of sit and watch the chat as they talk about the episode of fucking indigo league pokemon on stream like that was really cool i bet it was full of like just ash hate <laughs> So much there, was, hate. there was a lot. Uh Now, the big news since our last episode was definitely the Pokemon World Championships in Nashville. And they were super exciting, you guys. Uh, we saw great matches in Pokemon VGC, in Pokken Tournament, and in the Pokemon Trading Card Game. And we crowned new world champions. Uh, in addition, we got new announcements spanning almost everything. No let's go, shockingly enough. And I think that was probably a pretty severe misstep. On the Pokemon Company's part, like, they're struggling already with the fact that the competitive community is very blasé about Let's Go. And this was their chance to turn that around, and they totally fucking didn't. But we did get cool stuff uh, from everything from Detective Pikachu to trading cards to VGC 2019. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into all the news that came out of Worlds. Now... Firstly, uh, the upcoming film, Detective Pikachu, was featured during the opening ceremony at Worlds this year, and we got a bit of new information, though mostly, realistically, they were just building up hype. Uh, we did get a new logo for the movie, as well as confirmation of a May 2019 release. The director also led the crowd in chanting Pikachu and then Charizard, which apparently was recorded and is going to be used in the movie, so that's really cool. I'm not sure how I feel about this movie, to be honest. It's going to be incredible. Incredibly different from everything that we've seen out of Pokemon before but Ryan Reynolds is in it and he makes everything good so I'm still kind of excited to see what they make it into. We also saw a major new announcement for the Pokemon trading card game coming into 2019. Uh, the new Tag Team GX card type was announced. Tag Team GX cards will feature two Pokemon of the same type joining forces to unleash devastation and will thus have higher HP and deal much more damage than a normal Pokemon. As such, KOing a Tag Team GX card nets three prize cards, which is half of your victory conditions. That's pretty huge. The previewed Tag Team GX card features Pikachu and Zekrom, and it is scary strong. So it is going to be really interesting to see how these powerful new cards will change the competitive Pokemon trading card game metagame.
2: Man, that game has changed since I played it.
1: Uh it's it, it goes through so much, and the power creep builds, and then they dash it, and they say, "No, guys, the number's getting too big. We have to cut these mechanics out," and then they just do it again. So, <laughs> fucking trading cards,
0: man.
2: Yeah, the last time I played it, I was building a all the starters deck that went along with
1: red and blue. <laughs> so that's yeah, it's
0: been, it's been a little while.
1: Mm. Been a been a minute, yeah. Now, of course, this was the World Championships, and as such, we did crown new champions. Uh, in the Pokemon trading card game, we saw Naohito Inui, I apologize if I butchered your name, sir, uh, of Japan, win in the juniors division. Uh Magnus Peterson of Denmark won the seniors division, and Robin Schulz of Germany won masters in trading card game. So congratulations to our new champions. In Paken Tournament, we saw American competitor Jacob, thanks Swalot, Waller. He won an extremely close final match and the championship. Congratulations, Jacob. It was really hype. I'm not normally a fighting game type of dude. This was so hype to watch. I highly recommend going back and watching the on-demand video. In VGC... Juan Lee of Japan won the juniors division. James Evans of the United States won the seniors division. And in an incredible, absolutely mind baffling set, uh, Paul Ruiz of Ecuador overtook American competitor, Emilio Forbes to become our first ever Latin American world champion. Congratulations, Paul, you played incredibly and you more than earned your victory. Now, Looking ahead to next year's tournament series, we did get some important announcements. Uh, firstly, the small stuff. It, it was announced that the 2019 World Championships will be held in Washington, D.C. Uh, so start planning and saving if you're hoping to attend. Probably more important, however, we got confirmation finally on the game versions and format for VGC 2019. The 2019 format will be in what's, no, what's referred to as the GS Cup format. GS Cup is a VGC format which bans only Mythic Pokemon and Ash Greninja. Everything else is legal. Cover legendaries are restricted, however, allowing only two of them per team. Otherwise, all Pokemon are legal in this format. Uh, that said, they're doing something a little bit different this time around with that GS Cup format this season to make things more interesting. So... They're, they've made it into a developing format. There are going to be three, like, sub-formats that are active through the 2019 season. Uh, first, the Sun series, which runs actually from, from this week, from September 4th through January 7th. It follows the GS Cup rules, but it bans Z-Crystals, Mega Evolution, and Primal Pokemon. So, giving us some things that aren't normally usable and competitive, but taking others away, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the Moon series, which follows it up and runs from January 8th through April 1st, loosens these restrictions by allowing for Z crystals, with the exception of Ultra Necrosium Z, but it continues to ban Mega Evolution and Primal Revision. Finally, from April 2nd through the 2019 World Championships, the Ultra Series becomes active and all moves, forms, and items legal under GS Cup rules become legal. I know that's really, really complicated, but what do you guys think? What are your thoughts on the format of VGC
0: 2019? Well, I think when you have something that's actively competitive and uh, particularly when there's, you know... I think a very established meta that folks settle into changing things up can be really good. And it looks like this is intended to do like exactly that, you know, having these like mini seasons, almost these sub formats means that things won't stay stale from like start to finish. Like it'll continue to evolve as the rules change throughout the like year, year and a a quarter that we're going through, which I think will be real good. And I, honestly, the, they're probably going to have to wait and see you know what the, uh, what the results are. I'm sure if this is something they're doing that's kind of new, they're going to spend some time just watching and seeing how the meta evolves and what people's reactions are to it uh, to decide whether if it was successful or not. I can't
2: think of anything more to say than that because that was my uh, comment as well. It just is going to shake up teams, really. It's going to keep people from having the same team. Throughout the entire VGC series, which is going to make things a lot more interesting, honestly.
1: See, I've got mixed feelings about it because, you know, the metagame develops over time anyway. Like, naturally, that's kind of how it works. And so... You're putting that on a timer to some degree, you know. You don't have a, a full year to develop in the series and figure out what works and what doesn't, and let the meta settle. Like the meta is going to have to settle very quickly, and there's going to be a lot more surprises. And I just can't decide from my perspective if that's actually a good thing or not. But I guess we're just going to have to see how it goes. I'm really excited to watch it. I'm not going to play this this season. I actually thought about it. I'd really kind of like to dig into to VGC format, but. As volatile as this series looks like it's going to be, it doesn't feel like it's going to be the best newbie stomping ground. So I think I'm going to sit this one out, watch and wait, and maybe try to jump in and VGC 20.
0: I think, you know, there's probably a situation where they're with esports becoming as prominent as they are now. Like they're really becoming a lot more mainstream. They're probably looking at what's out there. And granted, this is a turn based format. It's different than, you know, real time stuff but if you look at something like league of legends or dota where there are champions like coming in regularly that shake up the meta on a regular basis like that's good for viewership it's exciting like people are like oh what's going to happen like how is this going to change up the way that people play and then they get to watch how the meta adjusts to like a forceful change so they're probably looking at trends and seeing you know what experimentation they can do and whether it's going to be worth it
2: yeah, because unlike those games where they could be patched every almost every day to change up things that are unbalanced. Pokemon is Pokemon and there's not really an easy way to
1: send patches out for the games because they're cartridges. You know what they could do? They could let us use the goddamn mythicals they give us about four fucking times a year, game freak. <laughs> looking at you
0: motherfuckers, let us use these goddamn box ornaments. But they they just want them to be pretty on your poker shelf. Yeah, you're not allowed <laughs> to use them.
2: They're fragile. They're made of porcelain.
1: Don't break the porcelain. My Begirna is not
0: made of porcelain; it's made of goddamn mithril steel, you bastards. They're uh, they're just about as useful as like having a what do they call them? The little uh... oh, shit. The little Nintendo statues that they use today. Oh, uh, the fucking <laughs> amiibos. <laughs> the, the amiibos. Yes. They need to make us mythic amiibos so we can actually put them on our poker shelves. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: I still have yet to buy
0: one because I refuse to buy amiibos.
1: I love my amiibos. Amiibos are neat. I kind of want them. I'm not going to bullshit. I can't bring myself to spend good money on those things. but I They're want so
2: those. expensive. <laughs> they're they're neat, but they're so expensive.
1: They are very expensive. Uh, all right, guys. So the BlastBurn Radio Nuzlocke World Tour continues to move onward and upward. And our next stop is the Unova region with Pokemon Black and White. As has become tradition around here, before we jump into gameplay stuff, let's just talk about these games, uh, our personal experiences playing them, and just overall what significance they have for us personally, what they mean to us, if if anything. So, Pokemon Black and White were released in Japan on September 18th of 2010, uh, and then they kind of staggered a little bit. They were released in Europe on March 4th of 2011, uh, North America on March 6th. And then in Australia on March 10th. Not really sure why they did them separate, but still so close together, but that's that's what they did. Pokemon Black and White were well-received critically. Reviewers were highly impressed with the fresh approach the games had taken, from the graphics to the diversity of new Pokemon. Uh, Famitsu gave them a perfect 40 out of 40 score, something that not many games can claim. Uh, The first ever to get that score was actually The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, if that gives you any idea of the caliber of games that Famitsu gives a perfect score. Game Informer rated them 8.75 out of 10, and IGN gave the games a, quote, amazing score of 9.0 out of 10. Pokemon Black and White were commercial successes, though they sold fewer copies than any other new generation game pair before or after, to date today. They are the lowest selling main pair. Uh, In the year of their release, they sold 11.51 million units. As of March of 2018, they have sold 15.64 million copies worldwide. Generation 5 is a polarizing series within the Pokemon fan base. Its fans laud the graphics and general ambience of Unova, including full motion sprites, as well as the volume and variety of new Pokemon, and especially the quality of the storytelling in Black and White as being a breath of fresh air for the franchise. Those who criticize Black and White, however, are often pointing to some of those same features that others love. Uh, The regional Pokedex has been criticized for unnecessary or even, in the opinion of some, lazy designs, while to many the full motion sprites feel unnatural and clumsy. Uh, Despite changing relatively little of the core Pokemon gameplay in comparison to previous entries, Pokemon Black and White probably did more to shake up the feel of a Pokemon title than any series. Before, or in my opinion, it's since, and they are understandably polarizing as a result. Uh, Pokemon Black and White introduced 156 new Pokemon, the single largest total from any game series to date, and they bring the total Pokédex up to 649. So let's talk about our personal history, our personal experiences with Generation 5. And let's start, Light. Uh, let's start with you, Messer Engine. When you think uh, of Pokemon Black and White, of the Generation 5 Pokemon games, what, what, if any, memories or impressions stand out for you?
0: I don't have any. I haven't played them, really. I, I've made two attempts to uh, Nuzlocke White just recently, like after we started the show, and had some real... Real trouble, so that should be fun this this season. But yeah, I I didn't I wasn't playing 2010 2011. I had struck out on my own like for the first time in my life. I had been out on my own for a few years, but I was struggling to like make ends meet. So I didn't have like any spare money. <laughs> so I I didn't get a chance to play them. Like the impressions that I I do have of them limited as they are is the Pokemon that I've seen from this generation or use in competitive since we started this series, I think are real cool. Uh But that that's all I got.
1: Okay. Well, obviously then you don't have a starter. I don't think that, that picking it up and playing for an hour before wiping out really qualifies as your starter, your baby. Um, but do you have a favorite of this starter trio?
0: So I, I really like, so as a Pokemon, it's, it's baby form is what? Sevi? Uh, Snivy? So Se- is the poison boy. You're thinking of Superior. Oh, Superior. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. That other snake. Uh, yeah, I like Superior an awful lot, but I like Superior because of contrary. Like my exposure to that Pokemon is in competitive where it's got access to its, you know, hidden ability. Outside of that, I don't really know the otters real weird. And the pig, the pig is is super, super cute. Digging that. But yeah, for the most part, if we're talking competitive, it's uh, superior all the way.
1: Okay, well, that's that's more than fair. Um, Celeste, what about you, Hunt? I know that you did play these games. This isn't another series where two of the three of us are going to go, I don't know, never played them. What are your impressions or memories that stand out for you with, with Pokemon Black and White?
2: So... Black and white is an interesting thing because I went and picked it up like the day of release. Um, was very excited about it because I hadn't played a Pokemon game in a long time. And black honestly brought back my love for the games. I loved the new Pokemon. I love how fresh it f- felt. It Just having a new decks with nothing old mixed in and there seemed to be new Pokemon almost. I was running into new Pokemon all the time. Um, I used to be one of those people who had a little bit of hate for some of the Pokemon, like the ice cream cone and other ones. But honestly, thinking about it now, those designs are fine. I mean, not every Pokemon is going to be a Geodude. It's just not going to be a Geodude. <laughs> but um, I don't know how to phrase that. But yeah, I I love the story in it. Um, I don't remember if I finished it or not. It's been so long. I don't know. Um one of my biggest memories though is getting to the uh, cities like the giant city and just being overwhelmed like this is this isn't a pokemon game what <laughs> uh but yeah it from what i remember it was great the gym battles were fun going through the world was a lot of fun and the storyline was great and i'm really excited to actually play through this again and see what i remember and what i don't remember
1: well, cool. Very, very cool, Celeste. Do you remember who your original starter was in Black and White?
2: Yes, it was the Pig, actually. Tepig. The cute little fire starter.
1: Tepig's a real good boy. He's a real good boy, indeed. Is he still your favorite of the three?
2: I, I can't really name a favorite. I like all three. I really like Snivy. I really like uh, Oshawott, like, a lot. Going by their evolved forms, I, I honestly like superior the most out of the evolved forms, just from design. But the unevolved forms they're all super cute
1: okay well that's that's super duper fair thank you celeste um now for myself i've talked about this multiple times so this isn't going to surprise anybody but black and white are my favorite pokemon games they are just they are tops they are my absolute favorites and there's a lot of reasons for that um this was also my re-entry point into the series after not really liking gen 3 and then not playing gen 4 at all and for me I love these games a lot on their own, like they stand on their own merits, but my love for them is also very, very tied to when I played them, Um, that period of my life, which is a very special period of my life for me. I was in, I was not in the best of places. I was coming out of a a very rough breakup from a very long-term relationship. Um, I had just met and started dating my wife. And we were, we were poor. Like we were about as poor as I have ever been in my entire life. I was a lower level retail manager. Uh, my wife was my cashier and also a full-time student. And we were dating and didn't really have any money to do anything. And really just, you know, we had each other and the shitty apartment we lived in. And my dog that just leaks shit like it's fucking water all over the land. Like that was our, our life. And, it was a really interesting experience when me and my wife started dating because, you know, we're both gamers. We had that interest in common, but we're very different people as gamers, right? Um, Like, I've always been a very big RPG guy. I like games with a lot of meat, a lot of story. I liked MMOs a lot. You know, I, that shouldn't surprise anybody. I met both Mess and Celeste playing World of Warcraft. Those were the types of video games that drew me, that were compelling to me. Meanwhile... My wife is, she's a shooter girl. She loves zombie games. She will play Left 4 Dead all day, every day, until the day she dies, and have fun doing it, because it's her all-time favorite game. And there just, there wasn't a lot of crossover. There weren't a lot of places where our interests met. And we wound up finding two. And those were, were dynasty warriors that the games by Koei where you just like slaughter hordes and hordes of faceless, nameless Chinamen for forever. And we will still plug in a dynasty warriors game and just throw down for hours, just brutally murdering half the population of medieval China. And then Pokemon. We both had a deep love for Pokemon. So we picked up black and white together, which at the time were the newest game pair. And I just remember many, many days that summer, the air only half working, you know, barely dressed because it's so hot. All the windows open, all the fans on just like snuggled up on the couch and, and playing Pokemon together. And that was, you know, as as much as my life is better in a lot of really measurable ways. Now we're more financially secure. I have a family. I love my kids. That part of my life will always be very, very precious to me, and these games were a big part of that. So that makes them, by extension, very precious to me. That doesn't mean that they don't stand on their own merits, however. The storytelling in Pokemon Black and White is top fucking notch. It's as good as storytelling has ever been in Pokemon, and that's very compelling to me as a person. The characters are very real people to me and that, that has a lot of value. The regional decks is fantastic. It, I can't express how much it drew me in as somebody who was very unimpressed with Hoenn and, and who was kind of far removed from Pokemon for quite a while to come in and not know any of the Pokemon. But they're all new. Like, they're, it, it recaptured the feeling of playing Red and Blue again when I was 12 because there were all these strange, new, wonderful creatures to get to know all over again. And it was, I understand why some people really hate that, but for me, it was fucking magical. And, and I loved it. And I continue to love it. They are my favorite fucking Pokemon games. Always will be.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited for
2: Gen 5 because it, it it's the start of where things aren't slowing down. There's not a third gen or third game that is improved. It is there. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean again there's there's positives and negatives there, and we'll talk about that stuff as we go. Like I hear you. I absolutely hear you. But yeah, there's I'm gonna miss the diversity that that third version gave to our series because we weren't all doing the same things and it was a big fucking Trump card, a big wild card thrown into the mix and sometimes it was good for the person who picked it and sometimes it was bad. And Mostly it just, it bad. made things different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, black and white, real fucking good. I love these games a whole, whole lot. I played black when they were new. My wife played white. Up until this point in the series, I had always picked the water starter. Always, always, always. I picked Squirtle first. I picked Totodile first. I picked Mudkip first. Every single time, when we got to black and white, my wife was also a person who picked the water starter every single time, and she wanted Oshawott. And I didn't want to pick the same starter as her. That was boring. So I wound up picking Tepic. This was the first time I had ever picked a fire starter. And Tepig was a real good fucking boy. A real good boy. Um, I, I mean, I know that on paper he is the worst of the firefighting starters. Like, I get that. But he's a real good fucking boy. He's really cool. He's adorable. And Embor looks really strong and powerful. I like him a lot. I still like him a lot. I think he's a great starter.
0: Pick time.
1: Pick time. All aboard the bacon train. <laughs> all right guys, now so as we previously mentioned, uh generation 5 brought with it 156 new pokemon to the pokedex, which is the single largest increase to the pokedex of any pokemon generation before or since. Uh, in direct contrast with generation 4, none of these new pokemon are at all related to existing species, and for the first time since red and blue there are no familiar faces available until the post game. Your adventure is populated in Entirely by new friends. Uh of the new Pokemon introduced in Gen 5, which one is your favorite? Who is special to you personally and why? Uh Celeste, let's start with you, Han. Well, this
2: is an easy answer. Um so I mentioned that things are fuzzy and I don't remember anything. One thing I do remember was there was one Pokemon that stayed in my team no matter what, and you get them super early. And that's the Lillipub line. I love that line. Um Lillipup is a great Pokemon to start with, and when it evolves into a, for a Herdier and then a Stoutland, it just becomes so great. I can't think of any other Route 1 Pokemon other than some of the birds that last this long. And not only that, it's super cute, even when it's evolved. And yeah, I just love the Lillipup line a lot.
1: All right, that's that's fair. That's really fair. Um go watch the Pokemon Sun and a- Sun and Moon anime. No reason, just watch. No, I am scared. <laughs> uh no, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um so for myself there are a lot of bugs in Gen 5. There are a lot of real good bugs in Gen 5 and that makes jolly real real happy in his soul place. And I'm sure some of you guys are expecting me to say Volcarona and I love Volcarona a whole lot. Volcarona's a real good buggo. But for the same reason that I never call Scizor one of my favorites, even though I love it a whole lot and it's a real good bug, I don't say the same for, for Volcarona because everyone loves Volcarona. Volcarona is always the bug that people point to and they go, see, all the bugs aren't bad. Look at that one. And it's real great, but it's not the only good bug that we've got. Some of you guys who have been following what's going on in the Blastburn Nation might be expecting me to say Scolapede. I actually named my draft team the Circle City Scolipedes. Uh and Scolipede is a real good boy, and I came really, really close to picking him as my Gen 5 favorite. But not not quite. My favorite Gen 5 Pokemon is another good, good bugo friend. It's actually Escavalier. And it's funny because Escavalier is. Does not necessarily, despite being a good strong bug, does not necessarily fit the archetype, the mold of what usually makes for some of my favorite Pokemon, right? Because it's very one-dimensional. And and even more than that, it's it's slow. It's a slow defensive wall breaker that hits real, real hard. And and normally I like, you know, fast things that set up and sweep your whole team. But a scavalier is just really fucking good and it doesn't get the love that it deserves. For being as bulky as it is, for only having one weakness, for hitting like a fucking monster truck and getting great moves like fucking Megahorn and Ironhead and Knockoff. It's a fucking monster, and I love it, and I love to use it. And I'm really fucking shitty that I got sniped and I couldn't put it on my fucking draft team. War. Yeah. What about you, Messer Engine? Who is your favorite Generation 5
0: Pokemon? Ferrothorn. Good <laughs> good fucking lord. No one should be surprised by that. Ferrothorn is so fucking good. Like I use him in competitive a lot. Like Ferrothorn Chansey is my defensive OU core of choice. Yeah, it's super weak to fire, and there are a lot of things running. Fire coverage. But the fact is, I can abuse the shit out of that thing. You know, running Gyro Ball, Leech Seed, Stealth Rocks, and Protect. Like, it's amazing like what you can do with that. Especially with like a lefties on there. Like, even if he ends up real, real low, you can pull him out. And if you have an opportunity to get him back in, you can literally sit there and protect Milk up his health. Like, I've won matches like that. I like him a lot. The fire weakness is kind of scary sometimes, but he's 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 worth it. Uh, I'm real excited that he's in, in this game. The issue is he d- definitely does not learn what his competitive moveset is uh, in main gameplay. So it's unlikely you're going to see me running him, but I'm, I'm real excited to be playing a game that he exists now <laughs> where, where he did not before.
1: Well, cool. Thanks, Mess. Um, all right, now let's talk about some of the, the interesting and, and cool mechanical things that Generation 5 brings to the table. Gen 5, while still definitely a step forward for the Pokemon franchise, at least in this humble host's opinion, uh, it did not add the variety or depth of mechanical change that we've seen from previous generations, preferring instead to focus on the aesthetics and the presentation rather than the formula. Uh, That said, we did see some notable and important additions in this generation. In addition to 156 new Pokemon, Generation 5 introduced 92 new Pokemon moves, and they include some series staples. Uh, Setting up got much more diverse with the addition of powerful new options such as Home Claws, Coil, Quiver Dance, and Shell Smash. Multi-battles got several new and interesting tools in the form of moves such as Wide Guard, which protects all allies from moves which hit multiple Pokemon. Ally Switch, which swaps a Pokemon's position on the field with one of its allies. And Heal Pulse, which is an ability which can heal an ally for up to half of their HP. It's like a targeted recover. Gen 5 wasn't lacking in offensive options either, with the addition of series staples such as Acrobatics, Psy Shock, Volt Switch, and the ever-present Scald. Generation 5 introduced 41 new Pokemon abilities, which include Contrary, which reverses all stat changes. Up becomes down, down becomes up, left becomes right. It's fucking crazy, man. Uh, Defiant, which causes a sharp boost to attack whenever a Pokemon's stats are lowered. It's the Anti-Intimidate. Regenerator, which heals a Pokemon upon swapping out. And the powerful Moxie, which grants an attack boost upon KOing an opponent. Generation 5 also introduced a number of held items which are important to competitive Pokemon as we know it today, including the Eviolite, which increases the defenses of an unevolved Pokemon and makes Chansey great again, Rocky Helmet, which causes damage to opponents who hit it with direct physical attacks, and the Air Balloon, which causes a Pokemon to be immune to ground-type attacks until they are hit once, which breaks the balloon. Generation 5 was the first new Pokemon generation to date to not move the series onto a new console. And as such, rather than moving to new and more powerful hardware, the developers sought to perfect what they could accomplish with the familiar DS hardware. They introduced many general graphical enhancements, including a much higher degree of 3D environments as compared to Generation 4, as well as new camera angles to make the world feel larger and more dynamic. Generation 5 reinvented the wheel when it comes to the presentation of battles with fully animated battle sprites in addition to a dynamic camera that moves in response to the focus of the action within the battle. Black and White introduced the mechanic of seasons. Uh, Seasons in Unova change with the real-world passage of one month, completing three cycles per year. Uh, The change of a season changes the aesthetic of the region and can also affect Encounter Tables. Some areas are only accessible in certain seasons, and the Pokemon Deerling and Sawsbuck change forms depending on the season. Generation 5 introduced two new battle types, Triple Battles and Rotation Battles. Each is only featured in core gameplay in one of the two versions. Uh, Rotation Battles is in Pokemon Black, and Triple Battles is in Pokemon White. Uh, Triple Battles are similar in practice to Double Battles, but with three Pokemon on the field on each side. In addition, Pokemon may only reach over one space to attack on the opposite side of the field. Uh, For instance, the Pokemon on the left side of your field may only attack the left and the middle of the opponent's field and etc etc so on Uh, in rotation battles three pokemon are active on each side of the field again but only one of them is in the active position at any given time and thus it is the pokemon that attacks and receives damage Uh, and that pokemon can rotate between turns hence the rotation of the rotation battles Generation 5 introduced the mechanic of infinite-use TMs. This was a seemingly small change, but it has huge implications in how TMs feel and in how they're used. Uh, Gone are the days when you hoard these rare and valuable items against a perceived or real future need, or long gone are the days where you would speedrun a game over and over to get multiple uses of fucking Earthquake. Uh, Now you can use these items as they should be valuable tools to expand the toolkits of your Pokemon whenever you want to, however you want to. Black and White did introduce, as we've mentioned previously, the largest pool of new Pokemon to date, and that was necessary because in Pokemon Black and White, you only encounter those new Pokemon through your main journey. Unlike in previous installments, there are no old familiar faces bolstering the new cast of characters and providing a sense of the familiar. Through eight gyms, an evil plot to conquer the world, and a large and varied region, every Pokemon you encounter is brand new. Game Freak explored themes of divergent evolution with this Pokedex as well, asking themselves questions like, what would populate these caves if not Geodudes and Zubats when designing this regional Pokedex? Of all the features in Generation 5, this is the one that is the most polarizing. Proponents of Black and White's approach to the regional Pokedex, such as myself, applaud it as a breath of fresh air, a unique take on the tropes of the series, and a fresh start that truly feels fresh. Uh, While critics deride the regional decks as derivative and unnecessary, and rail against the ability to find any old familiar friends to bring with them on their journey. Love it or hate it, the reliance on the regional Pokedex is a defining feature of Generation 5. Lastly, one of the largest and most ambitious additions of Pokemon Black and White, and one that we will unfortunately be unable to showcase as it's no longer in service, is the addition of hidden abilities to Pokemon through the new mechanic of the Pokemon Dream World. Uh, the Dream World was an online mini-game that trainers could participate in once a day by uploading one of their Pokémon from their cartridge to the Global Link, where they could then sign in on their computer to play mini-games. They could grow and tend their berry garden in the Dream World as well as play games and befriend Pokémon to bring back to their cartridge, who would then know abilities not available on wild-caught Pokémon. This was the introduction of the now familiar mechanic of hidden abilities. Hidden abilities have become a huge feature in Pokemon, and they started here in black and white with a flash game hub known as the Dream World, which is now lost to time. Alright, so as is tradition around here, at the end of Series 4, your hosts sat down and we had a good long discussion about what worked in Series 4, what didn't, and how we could improve our rule set. Now, as always, while we all have a hand on that ball, while we all give input, we do lean into our good friend Messer Engine as... He has that strong background in game design. Um, So Mess Buddy, I'll let you go ahead and go over what is changing with our rule set for Series 5.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Shelly. So as mentioned, we had our our post-season meeting uh, where we go over everything. What worked? What didn't? What could have been better? What were we happy with? And then we make adjustments. And honestly, this is really the first time that we we sat down and we were more happy than dissatisfied not to say that we're uh, we've ever thought our rule set is bad we just as we started we always found that there was a, a lot of room for improvement and we've been iterating for over a year now but we found that the point values from series four were really really solid uh, and as such uh, we're not altering them go figure uh, the scaling hard mode points in particular accomplished exactly what we wanted them to do uh, it allowed uh, jolly in particular this time to catch up without handing oh, free points to him uh, he had to earn it and god did he earn it uh, we gave that a much more thorough trial by fire than uh, i think that jolly would have preferred but It was good because we were able to see it in practice, spotlight the the whole series. So that's going to be here to stay. Also, the adjustment that we made to the, you know, train more than you can bring rule that I had uh, as my champions rule back in uh, series three where we expanded it to be train eight, bring six did increase the time investment. We were kind of concerned about that, uh, the weekly prep, but it did accomplish exactly what we wanted it to. It it preserved the surprise and excitement in PvP every week uh, while allowing us to bring full-functioning teams and recover from RNG, which was a big problem for us when we were trying it out with Train 6 Bring 4. This rule will also be returning uh, as just part of the core rule set. Now that isn't to say we didn't identify any room for improvement. We always find something to nitpick, because it's just who we are here at Blastman Radio. As our particularly as our hosts get better every single series at Nuzlocking, we always have to look at ways to make the series harder without making it impossible. Like we are well aware that it is not good for all of us to wipe out that like this is a competition that you watch like week to week, but We also don't want it to be easy either because if it is, we lose the danger and danger is a really important part of Nuzlocke. Now, the element of surprise is really important and exciting in PvP. Uh, But it's equally important that our audience be engaged. Like, we like talking to you about what our teams are and the decisions that surround them. I know we've gotten feedback from you guys about the PvP blogs I did in Season 3 and that you guys were kind of missing that those were around. And even doing those was a challenge because we can't tell you guys what we're thinking without telling our competitors what we're thinking. So that's been a struggle for us. So we either keep quiet and, and, or lose the element of surprise and, and neither of those things is really good. So we talked about it extensively and we think we've come up with a compromise. So thinking outside the box, uh, we're going to address this and, and the compromise we came to, uh, I'm about to discuss in a moment, but I, I kind of want to talk about metagaming first because it, it plays in to this decision. So just for sake of definitions, metagaming is taking knowledge about the game that isn't given to you within the game and using it to play the game. Now, as you might imagine, we metagame a lot in our ga- gameplay for this series. Every time we do a new season, we research possible encounters, we look up a way to obtain an item or TM. Those things are are metagaming. The internet is a beautiful resource. Uh that said. This type of metagaming is overall positive. It helps us build better, more diverse, and more interesting teams, and then use those teams to beat the shit out of each other, which you guys really enjoy. The problem is the other type of metagaming. In Pokemon games, we have access to everything, absolutely everything that we need to know about a given opponent. We know their team comp, we know their movesets, we have access to damage calculators that can tell us exactly how hard an attack will hit. This type of metagaming, which we'll call for simplicity's sake, combat metagaming, is absolutely harmful to our show because it removes the sense of danger from the Nuzlocke. Now, If we already know that we can't lose, we don't feel the stakes. And if we don't feel it, you won't feel it. And we're, we're very aware of that, particularly over the course of the the last season. We were, we were on our shit, you guys, which was good for us getting through things that were, were real hard, but wasn't really great from an entertainment standpoint. So for this series, we're not going to be participating in any combat metagaming. Uh, and this means that we're going to have brief descriptions of what the gym battles and major bosses entail, like kind of along the lines of Erica is a grass type specialist. Her ace is a victory bell and her signature move is giga drain. That gives us a little bit of information about them, but not detailed information. Uh, and that's all the info that we're going to have access to when we go into in-game fights. Now, in order to keep the element of surprise while still being open and engaging with our audience, our hosts will be doing optional team builders before every episode of the podcast. Now, these might be streams or they might be pre-recorded videos, but we're going to post something on Saturday before we record where we'll go over the teams we're bringing into PvP, what we're expecting, what we're bringing to counter it, what our move sets are going to be, item layouts, etc. We will not be altering our eight mon pvp roster in these videos that we lock in each week so we know what each other is bringing uh that way our opponents always know like what is on the table so they can plan appropriately we as a a trio are honor bound we have we have sworn sworn an oath Uh, that we will not watch each other's team builder content until the season is over. And as a result, we also ask that you guys respect the nature of this content and not discuss the contents of our team builders where our opponents can see. If, If you guys can't do that, then we can't do these videos to keep you in the loop on what we're doing. Please, 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 please be respectful. Now, I want to note that this is completely optional. If one of our hosts doesn't have the time or desire to do a team builder at any point, that's valid, but they cannot withhold any team changes from the other hosts unless they happen in the team builder. Our hope is that this content will allow us to engage you, our audience, regarding PvP while still capturing that element of surprise, as well as address some of these you know, other concerns that we talked about to make things more exciting. Uh, I want to point out that the change regarding the combat metagaming should make hard mode gyms in particular more exciting. Like you will note that during season four and, and any previous season really when we're hard moding a gym like we'll come in and we'll tell you like what the strat is when we walk in. You know, the gym leader has this, this, and this. Like, normally you would counter it with these things, but they have coverage on these specific mods, so you got to be careful. This is how we went around, you know, fixing that, and this is the extra team member we leveled this week. To mitigate that, hard mode gyms are going to be more dangerous than ever this season. We hope you enjoy that.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Mess. Now... I'm going to go ahead and interject here a little bit because there are a couple of issues that are unique to black and white that we needed to discuss. And and Mess was a fairly small portion of that conversation because he's never played black and white before. So he mostly just smiled and nodded and said, you guys know what's best. Uh, so we had to figure out how we were going to handle these specific problems. And I feel like we did a pretty good job. So, specifically, there are a couple of specific Pokemon and Pokemon Evolutionary lines that we had to figure out what we were going to do with because they didn't fit into a nice, neat box. And the first one on that list is Cubchoo and Beartick. So, until now, until right now in the series, we have had a very clear line and a very clear rule. If it's not legal in Smogon Competitive in the OU tier, it's not legal in the challenge. Period. That's just it uh this rule was actually challenged by of all things fucking bear tick <laughs> so the reason that Bear Tick presents a problem is actually its normal ability, which is Snow Cloak. That ability and all other abilities that boost evasion in weather is banned in Generation 5 OU and for really good reasons. Uh, I'm not gonna dive too far into the Weather Wars and Competitive here because I would keep talking all night about something that's not really relevant anymore. There's a whole lot to unpack there. Uh, but the, the Too Long Didn't Read version, the TLDR, is that when weather is set by an ability, it never goes away, unless it's replaced by other weather. This means that if you set hail with a snow warning Pokemon, like, uh, like Weezer, like our Obama Snow, Snow Cloak then grants a stage of evasion that never goes away. Ever. As long as that hail is active, that bear is dodgy as shit. And, and yeah, that's, that's a genuine problem. That being said, it's not our problem. We won't have Weezer. There aren't going to be any Obama Snows in our runs. And without that factor, the ability's not really broken. Even if I take a turn to set up Hail, it gives me five turns of evasion, and then the Hail goes away, and so does the evasion. So, yeah, tick is in. Our first ever allowed Uber in Blasburn Radio history is fucking tick Go figure. Now, the next specific Pokemon that we needed to have an answer for are actually Carablast and Shelmet. Uh, These Pokemon are unique in that they only evolve when traded, and specifically when traded for each other. Uh, This means that following the strictest possible interpretation of the Nuzlocke rules, if you don't catch both, you will never evolve them. Uh, While the Nuzlocke rules are really important, we have bent the rule set before to allow for evolution. I mean, for instance, we allow trade evolutions, period, when trading is generally against the rules in our series. Uh, and ultimately, having neutered Pokemon, having encounters that just stay awful forever on our rosters, it's not fun for us, and it isn't fun for you guys to watch, at least in our opinion. Uh, so ultimately, we're going to allow at need for a Carablast or a Shelmet to be captured to be held just long enough to evolve your legitimate encounter, Carablast or Shelmet, just to facilitate the evolution never used in battle and then released immediately. So again, this is technically, it doesn't follow the letter of the Nuzlocke rule, but it's in line with the spirit of the rule. And that felt more important to us. And this felt like the better compromise. So that's, that's what we're doing there. On a fairly minor note, and avoid avoiding all story spoilers, because Mess has never played this game before, and holy shit, you guys, it's a Pokemon game where the story actually kind of fucking matters. Uh, The character N does not fall neatly into any of the boxes, any of the categories that we have set up for point assignments. So ultimately, we had to make a decision to categorize him And we made the decision to consider him a rival and to score his battles as such. I understand that's not the only possible interpretation there. It's the one that we went with. Don't at me. (laughs) And then finally, we were faced with an interesting dilemma in that our series generally ends when we defeat the Pokemon League champion. And, well, no story spoilers, but the main story does not end with the champion this time. You don't actually fight the Unova champion, Alder, until the postgame when you rematch with the Pokemon League. So we had to decide whether to end the series at the climax of the story or at the champion fight. Uh, this could have gone either way for a variety of reasons, but ultimately we chose to end the series at Alder, at the champion. So this means we're actually going to get to see some of the post-game in Black and White and two additional weeks of gameplay beyond what would normally be the end of our series. And it also means that we're going to have another mid-series finale like we did in Series 2. So look forward to that. Hey guys, it is Jolly from the Future. I am just cutting in here real quick because I am not a smart boy, and I forgot actually one pretty big specific thing to, to Generation 5 that we are uh, adapting this time around that I didn't talk about when we recorded initially, so that's 100% my bad. Uh, what I want to talk to you guys about is about encounters, and specifically Areas like caves and forests and dungeons and all that cool shit. Um, So up until this point in the series, generally speaking, a cave or a dungeon or a forest is bookended by two different... Areas, right? Uh, like it's, I think, Route 4 that runs into Mount Moon, and then Mount Moon is the inside, and it comes back out on Route 5, or whatever. I probably have those route numbers wrong. They really don't fucking matter right now. But the point is, is that the area outside the dungeon is labeled differently than the interior of the dungeon. In Gen 5, that is not true. Uh, the exterior area of Pinwheel Forest, which is fairly large, and has very different encounters than the interior, is still called Pinwheel forest. So, ultimately, for a couple of different reasons, we decided to consider those exterior areas to be separate from the interior areas that they are are labeled the same as, that they're attached to. Uh, So if you... Figure out, you know, if you're following along and you see that we got two pinwheel forest encounters and you're like, what's the deal with that? One of them came from outside and one of them came from inside. So there's a couple of different areas that applies to if you have any questions, you guys know how to get at us. But that's how we're handling that. And that's why. Uh, So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I was very upfront and that you guys got that information. And now I will kick it back to our show. Now. Lastly, you guys, as always, our champion for our previous series gets to set their very own rule for the next series. And for the third goddamn series in a row, that bastard is Messer Engine. Uh, So Mess, buddy, what rule are you imposing as your champion's rule for Yenova?
0: So having gone to do this a couple times now, like I've mentioned in the past that When we look to make a champion's rule, a lot of times we want to address some concerns maybe that we have about the series and we're experimenting with like what we want to see or what we think might be cool. And this season is no exception. Throughout the course of the season, like we all talk, like we have a big meeting at the end, but you know, we're, we're hot on the pulse of the series as it were. So, you know, I have a long drive home. A lot of times like Jolly will give me a call and we'll just talk over some, some shit about how we think things are going, you know, the challenges that, that we're facing on the season so that we, we have all of this feedback that we share with you brewing as we get to the end uh, of the season. And one of the things that has come up time and time again is the fact that our teams don't always look different enough now i feel like the third version has always differentiated at least one of us because the the regional decks often was very very different in that game but we're at a point where that's done like until we we get back around to to the world tour redux or whatever we're going to do later like we're done with that and we have shiny claws which does this in a way Because it guarantees like a certain mon is on your team and you have to build around it. But Shiny claws is at at the whim of fate for for good or ill as we saw last season. We could see none or we could see four. (laughs) Uh, So with that in mind, what I want to do for this season is allow folks to franchise tag a specific Pokemon that we will draft here today. Like we draft our starters, which will be, we'll call it the signature Pokemon that we build our team around. And what that means is if I draft, I don't know, like Mandibuzz, then only I can use Mandibuzz uh, on my team. I have to, it becomes like Shiny Claws. I have to go out of my way to catch it. If I catch it, I have to use it till death do us part. It's always got to be on the team. And that's going to give at least one Pokemon on all of our teams, make them unique, which is really, really valuable uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it makes things interesting for PVP. Two, it allows our, our competitors to build around that concept to say, you know, I know this Pokemon is going to be on my team if I can manage to get it. So I need to start planning what my, what I would like my team to look like if I can manage it around what that Pokemon does well or, or doesn't do well. It's also a situation where not that this was the the largest consideration, but we've always given the version draft to, to the loser to kind of help determine what the series is going to look like for them to give them a little more freedom. And with that, that's not going away, but without the third version, that's less meaningful. Uh, and having the draft here this season, uh drafting in, you know, reverse order from the winner, so Jolly will be drafting his franchise tag Pokemon first, gives him some value there. Gives the loser some value on the season as well. We had talked about a ban phase, which is very uh, common and competitive, but that would have been to address the fact that we have like repeat Pokemon who show up a lot and we want things to feel different from season to season. And guess what you guys, it's all new Pokemon this season. So there's no ban phase in this rule. Maybe if it works out well and we talk about keeping it, we'll revisit that when we get to heart, gold, soul, silver. But for now that that's off the table and just one additional kind of note, uh, because this did come up in our planning. If you decide to what happens if somebody decides to franchise tag an early route Pokemon, right? When you may not even be able to field a team of five, that could be devastating. So the decision that we came to uh, on this for the for the implementation was that once you have a full team of six, like once you have seven Pokemon, if somebody has franchise tagged one of those early Pokemon, it has to leave your team. But until you have at least those seven Mon, you can use it. There was some concern, you know, about early game just somebody banning out an early route pokemon and now we can't get through a gym because god damn it we have four pokemon total and now we have three. Uh and then we just all sit at the beginning uh dying to the first gym and that wouldn't be fun for anybody. But yeah, that's it. We're going to we're going to draft some on and see how that goes and see how you guys like it and how that affects our, our build choices and our encounter choices, uh, what, what little we can determine off of our encounter choices at least, but, uh, it should be fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you, mess. I'm really excited to actually see this rule in implementation. I think that there's a, a whole, whole, lot of, of value here. Now, one thing that we hadn't discussed yet that I think is really, really important to know is, is what happens if I encounter a Pokemon in the wild as my first encounter, and it's one that Messer Celeste's franchise tagged, right? Um, and ultimately what we decided there is at that point, it becomes, it becomes your decision, like, like geibel was in Gen 4. It becomes your decision whether to count that Pokemon as your encounter or not. Because there are benefits and risks either way, right? Like if you if you dismiss it out of hand and you say no, that's Messer Engine's franchise tagged Pokemon, the tag expires upon death. So if Mess tags Sandile. And I encounter a Sandile and I say, no, that's Messer Engine's tagged Pokemon. I don't want it. I'm going to get something else. And then sand Sandile dies. If I had had that Sandile in the bank, I could totally start using it at that point. So there's some value in potentially getting it, even though you can't use it right away. So if you encounter someone else's tagged Pokemon in the wild as your legitimate encounter, you can either choose to catch it and bank it in hopes that you can use it in the future, or you can choose to disregard it and move on to your next encounter.
0: Uh, one thing that uh, we should probably also mention, cause we didn't bring it up and it is, uh, relevant is what happens if we get to like the, the mid season or the late mid season and we have not been able to secure or find or encounter or catch our franchise Pokemon. For, for us, that's, we're going to define that as, as week six on the series. Cause this is going to be a long series. The way that we're handling it is that if you get to that week and you haven't encountered it. You can choose, if you want, to release your franchise tag and pick something else. If you go beyond week six and you don't catch it, you just don't get it. We wanted to make sure that because we're featuring this as a champion's rule and it's such a a big part of, the really, the biggest change I think we're making this season, we really wanted to highlight it that we gave our competitors a, a chance to really use it and see it shine because we... We use that feedback to make decisions for the next season, but at the same time, the franchise tag should be something that's meaningful. That should not be just flip flopped, like waffled all the time. Because you know, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want that one. I'm going to pick something else. You pick it; it's yours until like up till week six. And if you have not been able to secure it, you can pick something else. But after that, it's your bad. You should have picked something that it was easier to catch or guaranteed to catch
1: yeah this is and, and again guys this is a really complicated rule there's a lot of facets and we're probably missing things so just bear with us we're gonna have to make some judgment calls as we go i think we're gonna have to, to make some some audibles some plays on the move but overall i think there's a lot of value here i think that this particular champions rule is going to help us bring more interesting and diverse teams which is more entertaining for everybody it's more entertaining for us to play it's more entertaining for you guys to watch and it's also going to help us strategize because at the end of the day you know all series four we didn't know what else Celeste was bringing but we knew that goddamn bird was coming and so now we're all going to be in that position for at least one mon and so that's going to make pvp really interesting yeah
2: absolutely all the early shinies belong to me apparently
1: yep yep i can't wait for your shiny fucking pigeon i'm waiting for it i better not (laughs) get
0: a shiny pigeon i don't want that pigeon shiny padove yeah well we didn't want fucking doofs either but that fucking (laughs) happened You are Celeste, the mother of burbs.
2: I am mother of burbs. And I'm going to be mother of puppers.
1: All right, guys. Now, it is time once again to to do our drafts, and we've got three of them this time, guys, all drafts all the time. Uh, And of course, we will be starting with the partners and friends that we'll be taking this new journey with. Now, draft order is, of course, determined by performance in the previous series, which means that as our repeating series champion, the son of a bitch, Messer Engine gets the perk yet again of drafting first and having all options on the table. Uh, Messer Engine, which starter Pokemon will you be taking with you on your adventures in Unova?
0: I want you to know, before I tell people what, I, what I'm what i selecting here, that I heavily considered making my naming convention this season the fucking New England Patriots. Just for you. Oh, you son of a whore. I'm not doing that. Uh, but, yeah, I I heavily considered it. Uh, after all the shit you gave me at the end of last season. I'm choosing Tepig. I want that cute, cute fire pig back to the firefighting. This does mean that the only firefighting Pokemon I, starter that I did not pick is my favorite, which is kind of sad. But I, I don't know. Snivy is real fragile, and that Otter is just weird to me. So I guess we're going, we're going bulky Fire Pig.
1: Ah, uh, ah, uh, that's a real good boy. You're gonna have real good luck with him. Don't, don't, uh, don't put too much faith in the bulk though. It's it's largely largely an illusion. I will warn you of that.
0: Yeah, you know I'm going to fucking wild charge and kill myself.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. All right, well, Celeste, as as has become our, our pattern in, in recent series, that leaves you drafting second, and that leaves you with the options of Snivy and Oshawott on the table. Who is going to be your starter?
2: So most people would think I'd be picking Oshawott, but Oshawott, I'm picking Snivy because I haven't had a grass starter yet. What? I had Cyndaquil in crystal and i've been picking water starters ever since and so i am going with the cute little Grassmon. and picking up that smug leaf yep. that smug leaf
1: <laughs> smug leaf was his uh, his fan name his code name when his image leaked before he was actually announced <laughs>
2: hilarious i didn't know that yeah
1: yeah yep, that's that's a thing uh that's real cool snivy's are a really dope pokemon um uh, i've had real good luck with grass starters uh, other than one i'm looking at you fucking Trico, you son of a bitch <laughs> uh, but yeah yeah that's that's real cool i i hope that you have a really good time with with snivy celeste and holy shit you guys that leaves me with Oshawott. I, Jolly gets a fucking water starter. It's a goddamn Christmas miracle. Uh, <laughs> again, I've never used Oshawott before. Again, he was, he was my wife's starter when we played these games together, but I've got a fondness for the little ninja otter. I think he's a pretty cool Pokemon. I, the black and, the black and white anime gets a lot of shit, right? And a lot of it's for good reasons. It's not the best that the Pokemon anime ever was, but Oshawott is fucking adorable. So I'm, I'm hype. I'm down with the little otter. Let's do it.
2: Piplup was more adorable in the anime
1: i mean actually actually no oh my god i forget it it was a mulga it was a mulga very late in the black and white anime dawn shows up and piplup and oshawott start battling over the affections of a mulga and it's fucking adorable um but (laughs) yeah you know neither here nor there uh all right guys so we have our partners next we will need to yet again select our game versions so I was unfortunately the big loser of Series 4 yet again, and I will be bringing the doof right along with me into Yenova. this also gives me the first choice in our game version. Now, remember that we're going into games now with only two versions, so while this is still a really important choice, it's now... It's a really important personal choice now, right? It's it's all about picking what's going to put me in the best position, not necessarily denying my opponents what I don't want them to have, because I don't get to deny anyone anything. Celeste still gets her choice of versions after I'm done, and if she chooses opposite of what I choose, then Mess will get to choose his game version as well. So, this is a very personal decision, so I'm making it from a very personal place. Uh, so for me, this decision comes down to one evolutionary line ultimately i have always really really liked uh runiclus he is among my favorite psychic type pokemon and because i play black i've never used him in a playthrough so for our series i will be taking pokemon white so that i can use our good little cell boy now that does leave celeste drafting second yet again so celeste which game version will you be taking into unova
2: I'll be drafting Black version um, for a few reasons. It's the game I started with in Gen 5, and so I have some attachment there. And then I really am the mother of all birds, so I'm going to be trying to get a Mandibuzz. That's what interests me out of the two birds that come with the generation, just because I want something bulky and different this time. And I'm, I don't want a pedove, so hopefully no shiny Pidoves. Maybe a shiny Mandibuzz. We'll see.
1: <laughs> shiny Mandibuzz. America Bird's going to rock your face. Probably. <laughs> Who
2: needs America bird though?
1: All right. Well that leaves Messer engine. And for once mess for the first time in three series, you actually get your goddamn choice of game versions. So, uh, which version are you going to take into Unova?
0: You know, it's the first time uh, in three seasons that I get my choice of version. And the only one that I don't know what awaits me. So that's real interesting. I, I did do a little bit of research. I- I'm going to pick black. I also am on the hunt for good boy Mandibuzz, uh, because he, he's real fat and he taunts and he's he's roosting. And he's real good. I really like him. Yeah, I mean that was my only reasoning, but I would have had a similar reasoning for white. Is this Pokemon, me, sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are there are worse
1: reasons to pick versions. Although there are some really cool version differences in black and white, like a lot of really cool aesthetic differences like there are there are a lot of places in pokemon white version that are very like ancient and traditional that are like ancient ruins and you know forests and things like that that are like high-tech cities in black so that's really really neat and interesting
0: yeah that is really cool i you know everybody knows that i'm such a fucking edgelord that i had to fucking pick pokemon black no i'm I'm not (laughs) i don't got reasons like that I'm the emo girl out of all
2: of us. Come on.
1: Uh All right, guys. Well, lastly, in line with Messer Engine's champion rule, we will be setting the franchise tag on our new partners, the cornerstones upon which we shall build our Series 5 teams. Uh, in accordance with this new rule, I will be picking first as the loser of Series 4. Very generous of you, Messer Engine. And for my franchise tagged Pokemon for the, the rock upon which I shall build my team. I'm going to take the Axew family. So Axew, Fracture and and Haxorus. And there's a number of different reasons there. I've always really liked Axew. In fact, one, one gen five memory I didn't share previously, but it feels appropriate to now. They ran an egg giveaway when, when black and white were new through Toys R Us stores actually. And the closest Toys R Us store to my house is a good 45 minutes away. And so me and my wife, before work one Saturday, we hopped in the car and we drove 45 minutes to Toys R Us to do this this Pokemon giveaway. And we got our eggs. And those eggs could hatch into like one of five different things based on the black and white anime. And my wife got Iris's Axew, which was really, really fucking cool and was really the one I wanted. You know what I fucking got? I got Ash's Padove. <laughs> <laughs> so i was i was more than a little shitty about that uh but yeah is was a really dope pokemon Haxorus is a great dragon type i have not run a single dragon type in all of our series uh and it just it feels like the time and it feels like the mon i like my good axe face dragon so we're gonna we're gonna run with with actually we're gonna see where he takes us
2: all right and then i'm up next um being second in our uh last series I'm actually going to go with a early Pokemon, one of my favorites from Gen 5, Lillipop. My reasons being is I really like the, the uh, evolution line, and it's actually a really strong Pokemon and a really, really good base to a team. So I'm really excited to see that, and it's very likely for me to catch one, too.
1: Well, awesome. That'll be really, really cool to see, and I just have to keep crossing my fingers that you kill it so I can use mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, mess buddy, that's going to leave you, and you're not super familiar with this regional deck, so I'm real interested to see what you come up with.
0: Well, when when we were discussing this, like when we we sat down to go over what the champion's role was going to be, so that we could make this podcast tonight, I did a little bit of research, uh, and I wanted I wanted whatever my franchise tag was to to reflect me and my play style. Right? Because everybody knows who I am at this point. It's been four seasons. I'm slow and steady and I play defensively. I fucking had an OU match this morning where I made someone rage quit after I murdered their Pokemon with a, just a fucking Chansey and a Ferrothorn. Like, that's it. Like, I got three in and they were like, fuck this. That's just that's just me. So, we've already talked about Ferrothorn, how much I love but just does not have the competitive moveset in regular gameplay to be what I need him to be. And Mandibuzz is kind of like real late game. Like more so than I'm comfortable with. For, for something where we really want to show off this rule. And because it means I'm going to have to drastically change my team really close to the end of the series. Which isn't always great. Uh, so I'm going to go with Jellicent. Actually, uh, it's, a, it's a tanky water type. It's got a good learn set in Gen 5 competitive. It was an OU, uh, tier Pokemon. Yeah, I'm real happy. It's also got a dope ass mustache. I- I'm real excited about that pick. And I'm, I've never used one, obviously, in a, in gameplay, cause I've never played these games. So I'm real excited to see what it can do.
1: Is it bad that I really just kind of hope that you get a female one, so that uh, so that you're denied that glorious, glorious mustache?
0: I mean, that's fine. I, I have I already have a backup name in case I get a female one, and it's perfect. So either way, <laughs> I, I'm pretty pumped. I know what the their names will be regardless.
1: Well, if you get a male one, he has to either be Monopoly Man or Mr. Pringles.
0: Oh <laughs> no, I have one that is is perfect. You you'll see. You'll see.
1: Okay, I trust you. Not jealous. It's a really dope Pokemon. It's really, really cool. I'm actually kind of surprised that it doesn't see more use, even in in current, just because its its typing and its ability are so valuable when put together. Actually, I think actually now that I really think about it, I think the only reason it doesn't see the use that it used to is because Mantine got Roost.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's fucking true. Fucking Mantine fucking mansy
1: <laughs> all right guys so we have our partners and our versions and we're ready to start our our new travels in unova but we're not going there alone uh, as always this week did bring new email updates or in this case just a new email update from a good friend and listener uh this week we got our first ever email from a fairly new listener physical sky uh celeste would you read sky's email for us please
2: sure sky says hey guys physical sky 128 from discord and streams here I finally got caught up with all of your episodes, and I'm excited for you guys to start Gen 5. I plan on playing along with you guys, and it'll be my first ever playthrough of black and white games. I'll send in progress reports, too. See you in Unova, Physical Sky 128.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much, Sky. It's, It's really exciting that you're jumping into Unova for the first time ever, and we're honored to have you playing along with us. That's really, really exciting. Thank you. Just remember, guys, if you are a proud member of the Blastbird Nation, like Sky or, or like any of our, our normal good, good boys, and if you're playing along with us at home or just following the show, uh, just remember that we want to hear from you. Be sure to get at us by email or through social media, and we will share your messages with our community, because at the end of the day, we're all in this together. All right, guys. Well, we have we have our starters. We have our versions. We have our franchise tags. And it's time to stare down the barrel of our very first week in gameplay in the Unova region. Now, this week, our hosts will be starting our adventure in Town, where we will choose our starter Pokemon alongside our BFF Forevers. And we will absolutely destroy our bedrooms before running off and leaving Mom to deal with the Fallout. We will explore Route 1 on the way to Accumulatown, where we will get into an altercation with the Enigmatic N. We will then head north and west through Route 2 to reach uh, Striaten City, and we will explore the Dream Yard, where a sketchy character will push us to take his sweet, sweet monkey. Finally, we will head into the Striation Gym to challenge Chili, Silen, or Cress for our first Unova Gym Badge. Our level limit for this week will be 14. How are you guys feeling going into Series 5? Do you have any particular pokemon that you're hopeful to catch this week or or in the series or or any goals for your run that are informed by your experience in our series thus far
2: so i'm going to take a gamble and i'm going to skip the elemental monkey and try for Ooh,
1: rolling them bones play risky
2: (laughs) rolling that dice
1: Ironically, the only way that I would take that same gamble would be if I did not catch a Lillipup. So I hope that doesn't happen for you, Celeste. Well, if I don't catch a Lillipup,
2: I'm not taking that gamble, so.
1: <laughs> well, but but if you don't catch a Lillipup, then you've duped out everything but Muna on that route.
2: Uh, Muna's in the... Uh, the uh... In
1: the Dream Yard, which has Patrat and Purloin and Muna. So if you get a Patrat and a Purloin, all you can get is a Muna. That's true. That's really cool, though. Muna's a really dope Pokemon. It's, I mean, it's it's got its positives and its negatives. It's another one that's kind of reliant on the Hypnosis Dream Eater combo, which is not the best against people, but it's really, really cool. It's it's one that was kind of foreshadowed, foretold way back in Red and Blue, where the little girl says, I wish there was a pink Pokemon with a floral print, and then Moona shows up and it's a pink Pokemon with a floral print, so that's kind of neat.
0: My goal for this week is not to wipe. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds real silly, but the I have I have tried to Nuzlocke white twice. And granted, this was the only time that that I ever picked up those games, and I've wiped both times to like bad situations, mostly while grinding for the first gym, like those fucking cats just lowering my defenses to the point where I have to like switch out and i switch out into something and it gets crit and dies and then i got to do the gym like with 3 mon and i wipe it's it's not good so i i my goal is just to make it through alive this week
1: well that's that's really valid and i think that's going to kind of be especially with the fact that we can't you know ride bulbapedia all the way to victory i think that's going to be all of our goals for a lot of this series is just just don't fuck up and die just just get through it alive I don't know, I'm really excited for this series. I I don't know if this is a correct feeling or not, but it's the feeling I have after the last couple of series. I feel like I make poor decisions and things go bad for me when I start to get too hyper-competitive and focus too much on, I have to do this to win, so I'm going to do this. So I'm just going to try not to be that way too much, and I'm just going to make the best decisions that I can, play the best I can, and enjoy enjoy a trip through my favorite pokemon games and just kind of let the dice fall and see what happens
0: that's probably a a good idea there'll be there'll be less running in, into rival fights i'm sure uh actually i don't know about that there are so many goddamn rivals in this game but you'll you'll see you'll see <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh god <laughs>
1: oh all right guys well that is that is our show and of course we do want to let you guys know when you can expect to catch us streaming and that is more important than ever because we're doing bi-weekly now which means that we're not going to be quite so firm on our normal weekly stream schedule uh, so Messer Engine generally speaking you are the first one of us up to stream is that going to hold true this cycle this gameplay cycle as well
0: yeah it is and I Barring, like, news on my niece that requires me not to do so, or, you know what I mean. I I should be on tomorrow night to play the first leg of gameplay.
1: Okay, and when, where, and how will that be?
0: Uh, uh, You wanted specifics. God (laughs) damn it. Uh, it'll be at twitch.tv slash measure engine as always at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And if we need a second night, it'll be on uh, a Monday in our two week span at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Once I get out of work
1: awesome thank you mess now uh as has become the habit i jolly by nature will be streaming on tuesday evening and i will be streaming this tuesday evening 9 p.m eastern at twitch.tv slash jolly by nature uh this friday is actually going to be our friday night fight for our sweet little baby monkey chimchar so that'll be real exciting over on messer engines channel uh so if i do need a second night of gameplay for this cycle this set Uh, It'll be next Tuesday as well. So you can expect to see me on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern doing our Pokemon White series. And that does leave you, Celeste. When can our listeners expect to find you live and streaming on Twitch?
2: So unfortunately, I'm pretty booked on both Wednesdays of the week coming through. So it's going to be starting on Thursdays. Um, I'm going to push it up to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time just to give that extra hour and we'll be streaming at twitch.tv slash less lost and if i need a second night it'll be the, the next thursday
1: awesome thanks guys now just remember that we do want your emails whether you are playing along with us at home doing your own super dope challenge that you just want to talk about or if you just want to give us your thoughts and feelings on the show and what we're doing please please send us your emails to blastburnradio at gmail.com or get at the show on on twitter or facebook we want to hear from you uh, now as always you can follow me personally at BBR Jolly on Twitter.
0: I'm at Celeste Lost, and I'm at MesserEngine. Engine.
1: And also, as always, don't forget to check out Mythic Portal Games for all of your online role playing assets. Uh, and be sure to follow the show at Blastburn Radio on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date on what all of our hosts are doing around the web. Uh, I do want to thank everyone for joining us today. I want to give a very special thank you, as always, to my co hosts, Messer Engine and Celeste. For Blastburn Radio, I am Jolly by Nature. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.
0: See you next time, folks. See you next
1: week. Last Burn Radio is a production of Challenge Accepted Media. This episode was produced by Jolly by Nature, Celeste the Lost, and Messer Engine. Pokemon and all related games and characters are the property and trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, and the Pokemon Company. Opening music in today's episode includes Game On by Fishy, off the OC Remix album, The Missing No Tracks. Check out this great album at missingno.ocremix.org Battle music in today's episode provided by Glitch X City. Check out all her work on YouTube or SoundCloud at GlitchX City. Closing music in today's episode is a lullaby for trains off the Pokemon Black and White Super Music Collection, available on iTunes. Design work and stream assets provided by Rachel Mondragon. Check out her other work or contact her for commissions on Twitter at Chu. Blastburn Radio and its hosts are solely responsible for its content.